Hello and welcome to Abnormal Mapping. I'm your host, M. With me is regular co-host Jackson. Hello, hello. And we're here for our August episode. Summer is almost over. It is. Oh god, I'm so tired. I'm so sorry. I'm completely ruining this intro over here. <laughs> Summer, yay! I, you know, I was ready to record like six hours ago. I'm like, let's just get it done. And you're like, no, it's better if we wait until your evening. And now this is what I have to deal with you yawning through the whole damn thing. <laughs> I know. Well, I needed to get out of the house and the shops would have been closed if I, if I left it late too late. Uh-huh. That's what, it's true. It's what I did. Mm-hmm. So how's life been treating you the past month since we've recorded? It's only been a month, right? It feels like it's been forever, because I haven't yeah. been doing any video game playing, really. It's been so long. Uh, it's been three years since the release of No Man's Sky. Uh, and I, I, time has dissipated into nothing. Uh, an hour is now a year. I don't know. It's been a long month, but I haven't really done much. So, you know, there's mm. that. How are your other podcasts going? Shut up. <laughs> to be fair, the, th- the the things causing that podcast from uh, not actually getting done aren't my fault. Uh, that's fair. I think that applies to both the podcasts, really. I don't know. No, if, uh, Trash Spectre is just totally your fault. Oh, I could push everyone to record a Trash Spectre. Yep. But I didn't. No, you didn't. That means that makes it your fault. <laughs> yeah, no, that's why I'm, I'm agreeing with you. Okay. Um, we're less than a fucking two minutes into this podcast, and you're already getting me to accept blame for things. <laughs> to be fair, this time, like, it's not even—it's not like wildly out of proportion blame. I'm not blaming you this for time. climate change or something. Like, no. But is that probably my fault? No, I doubt it. Okay. Okay. You don't even own a car. It. Like, how could it be That's your true. fault? That's true. I walk everywhere. Yeah. You're like the most yeah, green no, I person I know. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, I haven't really uh, played any video games. I've been not sleeping, obviously. Uh, and you've got me into reading comics. So thanks for that. What are you reading? What's good? Scott Pilgrim. Oh, I do have an incredibly awful comics plan that I'm going to do. That what I've is decided it? is my big, massive project. And you're going to be like, no, Jackson, don't do that. Because that's an awful idea. But I'm going to do it. Uh I'm going to read The Ultimate Marvel Universe. Okay. Well, yeah. good luck. I, I'm, Thank I'm, you. I'm very excited for you to instantly burn out on that. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. This isn't like a quest of... I'm not going to hold myself to it. I'm, I'm no longer that person. I've started... Once I took antidepressants and calmed down a bit, the drive to fucking ruin myself uh, like I did for writing 80,000 words about Metal Gear, it's gone. I'm a much healthier person now. But it does mean... As long as, 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 long as you're... As long as you're folding other games into, uh, or other comics into that. Oh, mar- yeah. God, no, that's not a, that's, yeah, no, I'm not gonna. That's fine. If you become an expert on the Marvel universe that doesn't matter anymore, that sounds pretty good. <laughs> People literally mattered for about five minutes. So everything I know about it is that, like, it starts really amazingly, and then it instantly becomes more complicated than the actual Marvel universe. Good, good, And, good, and then good. the only thing that ends up mattering, like, ten years in is Ultimate Spider-Man, and mm-hmm. then they kill it all, except for ultimately, except for Miles Morales. He's still around. Yeah, 
No, I know, I know that, uh, but I actually didn't know much else. I know about um, Ultimate Fantastic Four because I read about three books of that when I was younger. But apart from that, it's just, oh, that was the other one that was less complicated. I don't know. I want the experience of uh, fucking reading a comic book for enough time to understand all the crossovers and ludicrous universe bullshit. But I'm not actually going to read, you know, 50 years of comic books. And at least uh, the Ultimate Marvel seems like the most condensed version of that. I guess. I guess I could just it's... watch DC Animated Universe. Yeah, that's what you actually should do. Because <laughs> then at least do. you'd be you'd be experiencing something. Enjoying good. myself. Yeah. It'd yeah. <laughs> be a grand total of zero minutes of Mark Miller. Instead, you're going to have so much Mark Miller. So much Mark Miller. It's Miller time. Well, it's the other. It's Miller time. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah. Now you're stealing bits from like bad internet personalities, so I hope you're fucking happy. <laughs> the worst part is I think of that joke separately, and then I remember it's already a, like it comes to me as another joke, and then I remember the the Linkara joke. Yeah. <laughs> so great job. Uh, yeah. So how's your month been? Uh, well, okay, so let's talk about just video games, I guess, because I've, I've been reading a lot of comics, too. Like, don't get me wrong. I have video game stuff to talk about. Don't worry. Okay. I have a little All bit. All right. So, uh, in, since we've recorded, I finished uh, Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag, um, yeah. which is too much of a game to support its story, and that's a shame because the story is really good, but it has almost nothing to do with the actual Assassin's Creeding. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, the plot of you and your pirate buddies trying to create, like, a weird, like libertarian pirate democracy on an island is kind of the most amazing thing in the world because hang on goes... hang on a second you're doing pirate out of heaven hang on i didn't know this was about pirate out yeah of heaven. the whole thing is like you and the pirates are like we need to get out from under the thumb of all these european nations we need to find an island and we need to settle a like a place where people can be free and it instantly goes to fucking shit because they're impossible to like one they're pirates they're not governors and two, like all of the forces of all of the various nations just immediately squash all the pirates under their thumb because they're navies of the world at a time when that mattered. So it just goes really bad. Uh, it's like a, it's like Don't... a very, it's like a great grand tragedy, but it's only kind of around the margins of like an open world Assassin's Creed game. And it's weird. So like that's going on and it's like this very intense story, but you just take a break to go, you know, go collect chests on every island in the Caribbean for two hours. Well, it's weird. It's like, oh, we founded this island. And then like you go to a different memory uh, fragment and it's like two years later and the island's beset by plague and Blackbeard's like, oh, I'm done with this. I'm going to go to Florida. And now you have to go and do Assassin's Creed stuff again because it's time to do Assassin's Creed stuff. Blackbeard's retiring. He goes where all retiring people go to Florida. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> but like the story of that stuff is really good. The game is also really good, but the two things are uh, pun unintended. Ships in the night, like they just no, do oh, not. Matter oh yeah, to pun unintended because that's a really, really uh, common phrase that is used all the time. It is. <laughs> I feel like pun was incredibly intended. No, but that that's cool. I don't. Know. I feel like that is more interesting than them trying to make them mesh. I'm glad they like just wrote a story and then made an Assassin's Creed game, and it can be dissonant and weird, but uh, it's probably better than the alternative. I kind of wish it wasn't an Assassin's Creed game. Sure, but you also played it for like 90 hours because it was an Assassin's Creed game. It was like 30ish. Mm-hmm. But I, what it, I... the it got the Assassin's Creed hooks deep into you sure but what like what i really wish was that it was the boat stuff and the cutscenes, and then nothing in between like just take out the part where it's assassin's creed okay yeah because that stuff's fine but it's not better than anything that was in three 
So I don't like there's not much to it anymore. I just I don't know why I care about climbing things in a world where I'm sailing the oceans. No. Why would you care? No. You just want to be building up your pirates on frontiers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, I just got done, like, literally right before I, we started this podcast with playing episode three of The Wolf Among Us, uh, which, uh, you know, is Telltale's, it's weird because I, I told you, like, just a couple days ago, like, this is clearly a game that was made before they figured out that their episodes need to be short, and that's not true. It's in this game that they realize their episodes need to be short. Uh, no, it was like it was the last episode of The Walking Dead is so, like they. It, I feel like that's the moment where they found the formula, and yeah. they were developing this game alongside that. Yeah, so that matches up timeline wise. Because like, because like episode one of The Wolf Among Us is like three hours long, and then episodes two and three have been about ninety minutes. Oh, good, good, good. Telltale's uh, here. Yeah, and uh, Wolf Among Us is pretty good. Like, I understand people have problems with fables. I haven't really read it. Uh, I don't know if I plan to. But at Wolf and like Wolf Among Us isn't like free of being like a tropey bullshit thing because it's noir and noir is like the epitome like the og tropey bullshit thing but (laughs) it's really good noir like yeah it's like grimy and sexist and kind of gross but that's kind of what you're looking for when you're going to noir and as long Mm -hmm. as you're okay with that uh it's got your back it's very good at being a tone piece in a way that something like even like la noir was like really bad at uh yeah like, the idea that in L.A. Noire you play a cop is, like, the dumbest thing on Earth. And I know that they get away from that towards the end with the plot. But you're not supposed to be a cop. You're supposed to be someone who, like, lives in, like, the gray spaces, like, kind of outside the law. Yeah. Uh, L.A. Noire, there's a character who is the private investigator and has the, like, woman walk into the office thing. But that's, like, three missions from the end. And that was originally meant to be the real playable character. That's how much of that game they didn't actually make. Also, that game's still 40 hours long. I What the fuck happened, Team Bondi? Well, you exploded is what happened. But, yeah, you, uh, they exploded anyway. and they built tech before they built a video game. Yep. It makes you appreciate yeah. the things that David Cage did with Heavy Rain. No, it doesn't. Heavy Rain's bad. <laughs> Nothing makes me appreciate uh, Heavy Rain. No. But uh, that that's really good. And I've been playing Style Savvy Fashion Forward. Ooh, how is Style Savvy Fashion Forward? Is it uh, right and proper good, mate? It is. Uh, so... <laughs> I don't know if you've been talking to Destiny. Destiny has an overblown yes. sense of this game's Britishness. Like, sure, some of the terms are weird, but I, like, I don't know. Like, I don't think it's like in a world in which Dragon Quest Four has like weird slangy European like stuff. Like, all the accents are typed out like phonetically, and it's hilarious and dumb. This game doesn't seem that offensive. Uh, it is more sound savvy. Point... What was that? I was going to say, at some point in this game, someone will say Cheeky Nandos and the internet will lose itself. I don't think anyone's going to say Nandos. <laughs> it's a trademark term. Um, but uh, it's, it seems pretty good. It's uh, similar to the last Style Savvy. Uh, the, the, Style Savvy is weird. I feel like everyone should play it. It exists in this space where it's like somewhere between The Sims and Animal Crossing. And if you're like, Animal Crossing is already kind of like The Sims, you're right. But not in the ways that matter here. Like, it's just a game about running a shop and dressing up and talking to weird people and listening to bafflingly strange NPC dialogue sometimes uh, because mm-hmm. everyone is ridiculous because it's a Nintendo game. And uh, it's yeah. just pleasant and colorful and good. I don't know. It's like the most low-key thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to put on a YouTube video and I'm going to play two hours of Style Savvy and whoops, I don't know what happened all my time. Well, uh, you just, that's what happened. Yep. 
Uh, there's demos of, I, I don't know if Trendsetters has a demo, but Fashion Forward definitely does. People should play Style Savvy. Like, it's hard to talk about, because, like, what you do, it's like, how do you talk about Animal Crossing without, like, getting into all the minutiae of what you do in Animal Crossing? Uh, well, a- Animal Crossing is a game, like, about bringing that minutiae to the surface of your experience. So, like, is Style Savvy the same, or is it more focused on the systems of running a shop? Uh, like, you... You sell people clothes based on what they want when they come in. They're like, oh, I want, mm-hmm. like, a girly hat. And you buy them a girly hat. Or you find them a girly hat and you let them try it on and they'll buy it from you. And then you you, you have stock and so you have to use the money that you make from things to go buy stock to restock your store. But, like, that's kind of the, like, only main loop in the game. The rest of it is just kind of, like, who walks in today? What weird things do they want? What storylines play out among these people who are my regulars? Or, like, my friends who run the other various stores in town? Uh, like... It's not a lifestyle sim in the same way that Animal Crossing is where you're, like, running around town doing errands and stuff. But, it, yeah. like, because it's so much less directed in, like, oh, you need to go deliver a package to, like, uh, the cat who lives on the cliff. It feels actually more like realistic interactions between people because you just kind of bump into people and say hello. And maybe they have something weird going on. But most of the time they probably don't. But you, you enjoy seeing your regulars and then you move on to the next thing you're doing. Like you just work and talk to your friends and hang out. Callum, uh, if that's a dog. not, if that's not, uh, yeah, he does. Uh, if uh, <laughs> if that's not real life, I don't know what is. Callum has a dog. Callum has a dog. He can't be bad. He loves his dog. Yeah. This is the insight into Star Savvy. I will play a Star Savvy. Uh, well, probably that one uh, one day because that's the yeah. one I have. So of course I'll play that one. Uh, yeah, I am excited. Uh, but the yeah. video games I've been playing, uh, I got an iPad this week uh for university because uh, my laptop died and who buys laptops in 2016 so i i went use my student discount got an ipad and then decided to uh revisit ios games for a bit and it was weird because they're all different they're all so different now uh like, like which ones like um jetpack joyride great game fantastic game yeah i played that a lot when it came out yeah, I did. But just, like, they have added, as uh, the uh, years have gone on, and the standards for what is an uh, iOS game's, like, in-app store have increased, uh, they've just filled it with more and more and more bullshit, and that's just happened to every game. So the, the 2011 version that is the good game with the good loop uh, just doesn't exist anymore, and that's true of all of them. I, I don't know. I know you hate Fruit Ninja, but I looked at Fruit Ninja, and that's the same. Um, the weird thing is like endless games do like the 256 games and like crossy road and stuff those exist like it's weird that like those games like those old games got refitted with a bunch of bullshit when endless games are still a thriving genre that are like not super gross yeah no i like i like them um yeah it just depends on the game but it's i don't know the app store's in a weird place in that no one's on it except either just kind of pleasant nice games or the most intense gambling for children that has ever been invented and there's no middle ground it feels like yeah i i mostly stick to it like i have a hard time even downloading like free games even if people say they're good because i just don't believe it anymore i'm mostly just looking for experiences that i can like spend a couple dollars and have a good time like with a real video game yeah Uh, yeah that's the kind of stuff I don't know, but after playing The Room, I was like, iOS, that's pretty cool. Might I suggest Device 6? Uh, I It is very high on the list, because I never actually played that one, so I it's, should. It's the best iOS game that has ever existed. I don't believe you. 
I love it. Like, it's one of my favorite I, video games. <laughs> I mean, I bet it's great. I bet I'll like it less than The Room 2, but that's probably just my tastes. Uh, we'll it's see. Got, it's got so much more style than anything any other game has ever done. That's true. It does look really cool. I, I need to play Device 6. You're right. I'm, like, thinking about it, like, the time I tried to play it, and it was, like, too small for my iPhone 4, so I didn't... What if, you, yeah, what if we made it? What if we made a puzzle game that is just the prisoner? Like it's the best video game. I should watch the prisoner again because I've, yeah. I've like it's a series that I've watched, but like years ago and mostly in parts. I should sit down as an adult and watch the prisoner straight through. Uh, yeah, the prisoner is really go. good. Yeah, but prisoner is some good shit. Yeah, I was thinking about buying a Lego game again. Uh, I, I, after Lego Marvel, I don't know what the good one is because I, I know the new Lego like, Marvel is not that. Like, if, if what you would want is another Lego Marvel game. But so they didn't what I want, what I want is like a, the Lego DC games, but neither Batman two or three. Like one, like Batman two is kind of what I want, but is on last gen, and Batman three is apparently not as good. Uh, like oh, they went, they went to like a more focused thing where like the story cutscenes are like tied into a movie that they also released at the same time or something. Huh. Yeah. Um, but reading all this DC, I'm like, what if I could play as all of the various Supermen that exist if- <laughs> in the Death of Superman storyline? Yeah, what if you could? They're all there. Every single one of them. I-, I could be Cyborg Superman. You could. I too could burn the cell phone and give it to Bill Clinton. <laughs> Hang on. Time out. Time you out have not looked at my Twitter feed today, have you? No, I've, I mean, I've been looking in and out, um... But I might, I've like, you've sold me on reading that, uh, so I don't want to know all the details. Okay, well, at some point, Cyborg <laughs> Superman, like, goes to the White House, and they identify that he is actually has uh, Superman's DNA in him, so like, oh, you must be Superman. And then, like, from his metal skeleton, births a cell phone that he gives to Bill Clinton to call him if he needs him. Comics are great. Yeah, I know, comics are they're, pretty good. fucking great. <laughs> yep. Uh... I, I um one of the things that I have realized by dipping into comics, and this this uh, will relate to video games in a second, uh, just a little bit, is the disparity between the actual reality of what a comic book icon like in this case Batman, because this was inspired by uh, the Telltale game coming out and the reactions to it, like the reality of what that re- actually is in comic books, and then what it is in the real world as propagated by movies and ideas, and there's this it's always there's always such a wide gap, and I don't know why that happens. But it's strange because everyone's like saying, oh, it's like this thing in the movie and this thing in here about the new Batman game when it's like Batman, the comic that exists and has <laughs> decades of things to draw from. But none of that's actually seeped in. It's weird. Yeah, it's kind of it looks it looks like it seems like it's kind of year one, but less street level and more like Bruce Wayne is very established and with his high tech stuff that he has in the modern world. But the story seems very year one inspired. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if we redid year one in like. I wouldn't. I don't really want to say New Fifty Two Batman, but I guess it kind of like around the time of like Batman Hush is actually probably mm-hmm. the one that I'm looking at. Yeah, when That's I the one when with I the see guy that oh go ahead is that the one with the guy that like has all the villains and there's a supervillain running them all. Uh, Jackson, I, he's got a, that is not he's specific a, enough. <laughs> he's got he's got a mask. He's got the white mask. You mean his head is all wrapped up? That's Hush. Yeah. Okay. Good. I know things. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Hush is weird because like it used to be. I don't think it's so much anymore. It was pitches like this is like a great way to get into Batman if you've never really read Batman, but and that's only because it's like short and it introduces basically all the Batman villains. 
but it's weird because it just ends up being like this it's like i don't know it's like the avengers movie of batman stories well, yeah, it's a, yeah. No, I get that. Well, I I shouldn't be similar. Like, apparently, we're just gonna have comics talk now because this is what we've been doing. And anyway, um, I assume it'd be similar to me reading All Star Superman, which I enjoyed, but was fucking impenetrable because it's more about summarizing like, decades of Superman than it is about actually bringing someone in to Superman. Yeah, no, you uh, have so to know you thing. like you you can get stuff out of it. Like, there's like awe and wonder and like heartwarming stuff in it if you don't know Superman, but. The whole thing with it is that it feeds into the more you know about Superman, the more you appreciate the way that Grant Morrison marries all the weird minutiae of Superman into this vision of like a coherent what Superman can represent for all people kind of thing. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, comics are fucking impenetrable sometimes. Yeah. So this is, the, yeah, this is the journey I'm going on between comics and games and movies and all this fucking Yotsuba. It's it's so much stuff. There's so much stuff. The, the secret of comic books is that while there's a lot of lore, nothing actually matters. That's true. You can dip into anything. Yeah, you can just read a story. Like the storyline could be bad, and a lot of comic storylines are bad. So if you're like, I don't really know what's going on, and I'm confused, and this all seems stupid. Like those first two <laughs> things might be because you don't know the context, but the third thing's probably just true. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, like context doesn't make the stories like less good. It just means you're more likely to defend it because you like all the characters. Like that's the answer as to why all event comics exist. Like nobody seems to like them, but people buy them because they're investing in these characters and they want to see what horrible idea they'll think up to fuck them up next. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna. I don't know what the fucking event comics. Um, the Civil War. There you go. Civil War Two. There's an article that was going around on Friday about how they've totally messed up Captain Marvel because of Civil War Two. Because of course they fucking did. Well, yeah, I could have told you that, and I haven't read them, and I don't really know who Captain Marvel is. But Civil War Two is enough for me to glean that information. Well, yeah, she's on the wrong side, but like, in not in a way that's like defensible, even in the way that the original Civil War, you could kind of see both sides. She's clearly wrong. And, like, even, like, her team has basically said, no, you're wrong. We don't believe you. So Is this they're Bendis? Just uh, pro- I don't know. I don't actually know. Okay. I was going to say All probably, right. but I have no idea. Okay. I was going to fact check, uh, but no, I'm not going to fact check. No fact checking. Uh, I, don't, I don't read Marvel event comics. I just kind of keep my ear to the ground on that. So I don't really read Marvel. I just kind of uh, osmos that stuff. I'm reading DC. You can ask me anything you want about Rebirth DC, and I can tell you, but I don't know anything about Marvel. Mm-hmm. Well, that was our comics minute. Uh, thank you for enjoying our trips into. I feel like uh, branching out and reading more comics because I haven't. I like comics have been a thing that I have enjoyed, but never really like tried to sit down and actually get into. But now that I've got a tablet; it's much easier to do that. Uh, yeah, it's, it's so it much is, easier. <laughs> yeah, uh, it has been uh, worthwhile in terms of, I don't know, like now that I'm spread out and doing about 12 things in 12 mediums in terms of like, I'll play a game, then I'll read a book, then I'll watch a movie. It's better than just playing games or watching movies or whatever. I feel yep. like I've achieved a little bit of balance and that's good. Yeah. You're not wrong.
Our game club this month is the Room Trilogy uh, for iOS by Fireproof Games. Uh, Fireproof, I-, I just looked this up and I didn't realize they are splintered off from Criterion Games. Uh, they're like of a group of are. six people and they are working on Burnout 3 and uh, on, on Burnout Paradise. They were like, let's just form a little team to just do like weird art stuff on our own time. And they ended up doing contracting work for like Little Big Planet and the Kill Zone games that you don't care about. And uh, then they pooled their money and uh, made the room. And then the room made a ton of money uh, because the room was like a pretty big deal the year it came out. Yeah, no, I I remember it coming out and being like, oh, hey, you should go play, download this on your iPad or iPhone and play this game because it's cool. Yeah. Uh, and then they made uh, two sequels. Uh, the Room, So The Room came out in 2012, Room 2 came out in 2013, and The Room 3 came out, I don't actually, uh, 2014. So a year apart. Man, those waits felt way longer than a year apart. Uh, I feel like I've been playing The Room for like a decade. Has... Are you sure the room three was twenty fourteen? Wasn't it twenty fifteen? This says twenty fourteen. Okay. When did I? I I remember like I played the intro to the room at EG the room three at EGX one year. Uh, well, the the one year I went, so it would have been twenty fourteen. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, the room is all of the games are the story of you, the player, uh, following the trail of someone who leaves notes uh who found this box and this puzzle box led them down this path where they were chasing like the fifth class classical element null or aether depending on how you know of classical elements and it just led them into this weird occultism and you have to open the puzzle boxes to follow them down this descent into madness and they're basically like kind of room escape games but in reverse in that your goal is to open the puzzle box and be offered more puzzle boxes uh Mm -hmm. and you do that through manipulating switches and wearing an eyepiece that shows you the hidden mysteries of the aether bullshit uh that's kind of the plot of the first two games more or less uh and then it blows up in the third we'll kind of talk about them in order i think right yes uh so I played these games like as they were coming out because I'm always jonesing for good iOS games and you played the ball on a big rush. So Jackson, tell me about your experience with The Room. Uh, well, I played the first Room game uh, early in the month for a little bit and then I took a break because it, like, like, it was a kind of a difficult game in some parts. I got stuck on some of the puzzles, which I don't actually know if that's because it's more difficult or because... Uh, I hadn't got like used to the language of the game quite yet. I assume a bit of column A, a bit of column B. I think it's mostly column B. Uh, Replaying the game, I like blew through it in like an hour. Uh, Destiny, who plays like who used to play a lot of Room Escape games, also blew through the first game pretty quickly. So, uh, Uh, the so like just briefly, uh, at some point we're gonna play Mist. And I think, like, yes. if you play Room Escape games, if you play games like Mist, the stuff the Room does, like, all builds upon the foundations of those type of games, where it's, like, gathering disparate clues and elements of your environment and manipulating objects in weird ways to make them all interconnect. And that stuff, any game that does that stuff, all kind of builds upon each other. The more of them you play, the better of it you get. Okay. That makes sense. But yeah, so I, so I started the Room uh, early in the month, and... um it was good. It made a really good first impression. I think the first chapter's a fantastic uh, tone piece uh, as it like tutorializes the game, but it's mostly about 
the because uh, the, the thing the reason the room works call like more than anything else is the fact that every single action feels good and has an incredible physicality to it uh, i can't imagine playing them on pc because like the game is i flick the thing and the thing opened because i flick the thing in the right way um and you do that for a while and then you like discover the eyepiece and then there's you flick the eyepiece and you see all the uh creepy writing like the end of assassin's creed one um and that is the chapter and it basically encapsulates the game in one thing and it like it hooked me real well uh so i was in from the start i was um but it was only at the room two where i really uh like really uh got like just started playing them over like in a burst um but no i i really enjoyed them uh, i i really loved the games uh, like how specific do you want me to go into specifics i guess i don't know how to make this conversation go uh so uh it's interesting because the so all three of these games have are about manipulating concrete objects in space and the room uh the first game is very singular in that i think it's the one where like almost everything you interact with is like a concrete object in a way that the other games really start to get away from like we'll get to that in room three a lot probably Mm -hmm. uh but it's just like it's they're not realistic puzzle boxes because the amount of things that fold into each other could not be replicated in real life. But the objects you manipulate through almost the entire game feel like they are constructed objects. And yes. that's one of the things I've always like that, that game in particular. I like how homemade everything feels like that feels like a game that you could almost replicate in real life the same way like Hitman Go does. Mm-hmm. We're like, yeah, like, it's not it's not quite, but you could get close because yeah. the room one's. Uh, like the room two and onwards are more about games about uh creating spaces that are correct you know here's a touch point for everyone like the end of um america of alan wake's american nightmare um um, but the room one is way more specific about this you are opening a box and you are just opening keys to get into the next level of the box and you fiddle with this bit and that opens this bit and it's it's ludicrous and the box isn't real but it is more about just fiddling with mechanisms uh rather than manipulating spaces because it's all just in a room and not in multiple themed rooms like they get into yeah yeah, no, it's like you, you start with a big box and then you get small boxes and then it kind of like expands out right at the end, but not like in a, not in a crazy way. Not like the room three does. No, no, nothing <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, no, like there's not a whole lot to talk about in that. You get, a, you get the letters, you open the boxes, the boxes eventually lead you to a mystical door where you're pulled through. And I don't remember what's on the other side of the door in that game. Just like visions of clocks and stuff, right? Yeah, you just you just walk in and there's like nothing, but then you end up in another version of the room and there's the epilogue puzzles. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, I forgot about yes the epilogue puzzles. Um, but no, the implication is just you are pulled further into that dimension. Yeah. Uh, to be fucked with, which is what the room two is about. Yeah. So we'll move on to the room two, uh, also known as everybody's favorite, the room game, unless you have bad taste. <laughs> it's the best one. It is clearly the best one i can see an argument for enjoying the room three more depending on why you come to these games um but you're wrong (laughs) yeah like i you can appreciate the room three on its own terms but if you've enjoyed the other rooms like the room three doesn't actually have a whole lot to do with the room one and the room two in terms of how it's structured no but if what if the thing you are looking for is the room but at like more of a puzzle game 
mm-hmm. with actual taxing puzzles, The Room 3 has that. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So The Room 2, you are uh, deep into this now, and you're still chasing after this null element. But the main thing here is that you've been pulled into, like... I. In my, my indication is that it's various instances of other people also searching for the null element through time. Uh, and that so makes sense. you yeah. go, you go through spaces like there's like a ship and there's like a, like an ancient ruin. Uh, there's like a, there's like a, what do I want? Uh, like a Victorian era kind of like, a, I don't know, like a, like a laboratory or whatever. Right. Uh, the laboratory is the ending. But there's also like the drawing room where the yeah. people were sitting and ha- playing cards. Or it yeah. was a seance. Oh, right, seance. right, like the seance room. Yeah, and yeah, so seance. all of that, all of that becomes spaces where you go through them and in- investigate the puzzles or the horrible things those people were doing there, uh, and giving clues to like, oh, maybe this went way badly for them, but it's not going to go badly for you because you are the room master, uh, and you get pulled into these various eras in your chase of this null element and whoever is leaving you these bread trail, uh, bread crumb trails like through time and space. Uh, mm-hmm. But the room theming, uh, pun unintended again, of the various spaces is so strong in that game. Yep. It is all turn all the time. So yeah, the, the <clears throat> thing with that is you go to a space and normally you'll have like one or two things to interact with. And as you do them, the, like, dark void around you, like, reveals other parts of the environment for you to interact with. So mm-hmm. you'll go to the pirate ship, and you'll be like, oh, here's a model pirate ship. And you fiddle with it, and then you, like, flip a switch or add something to the model. And then that thing appears in the space that you're in, and then you can go manipulate that stuff and just builds upon itself. Uh, the way that it uh, creates a language of, like, multi-puzzle areas... Because, like, you're in, the like, the room space, but then there's various discrete puzzle stations. The way that it begins to, like, teach you that language is so strong in that game. Yeah. Yeah, because you'll be because like, it... okay, I've got to do this, and you'll see a word, and then you'll find the thing, and then you can type. And then that typer, uh, that typewriter can affect the cards in the middle of the room, and you realize there's a connection there. They're really strong. Yeah. It's also begins uh, ratcheting up the atmosphere stuff more, where, like... The things that that game does to, like, be spooky, I think, are way more effective than the stuff in the room. Definitely. Because, like, the, like the, that game's chapters end with the symbols. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have quite have the sense of inevitable dread that the room does, where you're like, oh, I'm going to get to the end of this box, and of course it's going to be something horrible. How could it not be? But the spaces you're going through feel way more haunted, to the point where, like, this this is the game that inco- starts incorporating stuff like the weird, like quite almost videos that you see like when you like I, i'm thinking of the seance room in particular where you view, look through the camera and you see the horrible things that happened yeah no that that is totally super creepy and then it, uh like that room's really effective because it it like plays into the genre they're playing with really well and that it is basically just a full game because it comes towards the end of building up the spookiness and ratcheting up for the payoff and the payoff isn't actually scary it's just sad as you find your friend's body or like skeleton body through time and you realize, yep. oh, they didn't get out. Uh, I'll get out, but they just died. Uh, and that's the big payoff to all the scare building. I really like that. Like, it felt true to the stuff that they were pulling from. Uh, it also introduces the idea that uh, we become kind of a cornerstone of the Room 3, that this Aether is like a lure to bring people into this trap to get them to, like, open these puzzle boxes because something on the other side wants out. Yeah. Uh, which... Uh, 
is in the ridiculous ending of you escaping the manor that this is all started in as like Cthulian tentacles tear apart the house behind you uh in one of the most ridiculous ending cutscenes to a video game it's like jarring and hilarious to me (laughs) because the game is so sedate and so tonally uh, quiet even in its horror and then the ending is just you first person fmv sprint well it's not live action but it is fmv because you know ipad um but sprinting through a house as tentacles chase you and then the house explodes behind you and all the tentacles disappear into the void and you realize that you have emerged victorious <laughs> it's great it's great um and uh that leads you to the room three which starts with you on a train and yes. while you're on that train you get a mysterious letter and then you see a vision of an old woman across from you and suddenly you are like pulled into like a, a house that exists kind of outside time and space it feels like uh yeah it's never it, made it, clear. it seems like it see so to me it seems like it's built out of the manner like ideas of the manner that people have had but, like, mm-hmm. the accumulation of anyone who's interacted with that manner in the real world over, like, the last, like, 400 years, like, compressed into a single space. Yeah. Because like, that's how so, I read it. So what happens is you get pulled from the train. Um, you Like, a box shows up when you go through um, a tunnel. And that's really spooky. Um, the old lady showing up in the shadow. And then you open it like an idiot. Uh, and you get transported specifically to a prison. And the thing you see is, like, uh, a guy walking across... Uh, outside through the bars of the prison and you get left a note from the care no the craft the caretaker the crafter no, the, what the, is- the craftsman the craftsman. and his whole Why thing the caretaker his whole thing is like you've been opening all these keys and locks and figuring out all these puzzles but now it's time for you to understand that you are fa- can fashion yourself into your own key and you don't need to search for keys to the puzzles without and that's like his whole deal is like this journey requires you to understand that you are as much a key as the th- objects you were finding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and thus he gives you a shiny new power, which is your ability to go into things and see smaller stuff inside of them. Namely yep. weird bespoke puzzles that undo locks because <laughs> th- being a key, I guess means that you have to solve new puzzles instead of just turning keys. Yep. Uh, well, to be fair, the first one of those puzzles is, Hey, turn this key from inside the lock. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, so the new mechanic where you can go shrink down and go inside spaces uh, is is strange because like it like lore wise, I guess it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. It, there's some really interesting stuff it does in two specific instances in the game that we'll talk about specifically because I think they're great. But but for the most part, it replaces like the really tactile sense of I'm going to find keys and turn them and flip switches and stuff with a I'm going to go inside a space and solve a new puzzle like it's Professor Layton. And I think it takes a lot of the like tactile sense out of the game uh, mm-hmm. and ends up making it, it ends up feeling like a way more abstract, way more gamey experience of puzzle solving. And I think it takes uh, away a lot out of the playing of it. I would agree. I don't think it removes the sense of tactileness because like the puzzles are still designed with enough self-awareness to be like, have a bunch of useless steps. Cause I think the room's strength is its amount of useless steps. And by useless steps, I mean, uh, if the, uh, solution is to take, um, this gem from one place and put it inside this cabinet you will have to flick the lock turn the key bring the thing pull pull the gem out like the the physicality for each step is still ratcheted up to the point where it's not just confusing things it is just actions that you take because they're the actions take and it is uh satisfying and important to take the action but Mm. 
adding zooming in and doing more abstract puzzles into the mix definitely i feel like takes away from it it just adds a scale that the game was never designed to support and it can't really incorporate that scale without uh losing the focus that makes uh, the room two really effective uh, like yeah. it's, it's only disappointing in comparison to the room three and it's not even disappointing because you can't just do that again no i know uh to further compound this problem of like feeling of abstractions taking away from the game uh you once you get out of that prison you end up in like the hub world where it's like this big room that spokes off the five chapters as like discrete spaces that are like prelude like each of these spaces you unlock one after the other you go into a room and then you fiddle with this mechanical device that is the same in all the rooms that like triggers the door that takes you to the chapter, which is like a discrete space in time in the gray manner, like in the room two, almost like it's all tied together with that hub world. Uh, The problem is so much of the mechanics of that stuff and like opening the doors and activating the pathways to the chapters is based on like fake occult technology in a way that doesn't feel like getting the like, evil triangles and putting them on the pedestal and making them spin to unlock the next door to the next room doesn't really feel interesting because it doesn't feel tied to anything real to me no they're just the things that are not the door yeah like when you replace like intricate locks with occult bullshit it's like it's fun in like a theming sort of way but it takes away from the sense of i'm doing this thing i'm opening this box and yeah. my my major problem with the room three is it gets a, like very heavily away from the idea of I am going to interact with this object until it reveals all its secrets to me. And there's times where it does that really well. There's a, I think it's chapter four, the puzzle where you have to forge the keys, which is like one of the best like room. Oh, experiences I love the key puzzles. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because uh, you're just uh, in a room where you have to like constantly melt down this bar of gold and get it into various shapes to unlock locks on this giant like. Uh, uh, pyramid box that has multiple keyholes in it and it's so good because not only is it all of the tactile stuff that you want in that you have to like cut wood to like fuel a thing to make a uh to make a lathe go and then you have to lay the new handle for this other machine it also feels tonally interesting in that the craftsman's whole thing is to like teach you that you are the key but that involves also learning and understanding how actual keys in the actual world are being made and utilized in this space mm-hmm yeah, no, melting down keys to make specific other keys is this really cool moment. I like it a lot. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> sorry, uh, that's, like, one of the best moments in the game. I also, um, uh, what is the other good, the other the other really good bit? I've forgotten. I know, I know you like the bit from the first chapter. So there's a bit uh, in the first chapter where you're building, uh, like, a, you're slowly putting pieces on this scale model of Grey Island. And one of them is the lighthouse and you you only get like the first floor of the lighthouse because it's like a tiered structure and you uh, you put the first floor down and a window opens and you can go inside it and you go inside it and you end up in like a room that looks like it's the top of the like of a lighthouse. But there's like this wooden figure there that's like a mannequin built on uh, an astrolab where all the pieces rotate around the center of the room and you rotate like a leg into place and then a door opens on the scale model that's inside this smaller scale model and you go inside that and then you rotate an arm into the place into this mannequin and then you go deeper in and you slowly build where you constantly shrink down and go further and once you complete the mannequin there's this moment where you slowly pull out of all of the various uh 
like depths you've gone into, like your inception layers, you slowly s- fly out of all of them as you go to the completed lighthouse model in the real world. And the sense of scale of, I have gone through like four different realities and suddenly they're all in sync and I can pull out to the solution feels like this moment of realization that the game is trying, like the lore of the game is trying to teach you that you're capable of having these realizations where you can ma- manipulate reality. But because it's like a puzzle game, there aren't actually a whole lot of times where you feel like you are actually the person who does that sort of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's the one time where the game's lore and the actual game puzzle makes you feel like you are a person who could literally warp reality to ch- create the solution that you need to achieve your goals. And I think that like the power fantasy of the game is like the most supported in that moment where you pull out of the four realities and hey, the structure's done. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, they don't really do that ever again in the game. And I get why they don't because the, the room games are all about every puzzle being specifically crafted. Uh, mm-hmm. But it like I feel uh, like they could have gone further with that. Like either further or not have it there at all. I don't know. Because it's, it's in this middle space where it's still just a room game, but it has this other, hey, you can go into other rooms thing. Uh, which is important to the lore, but not like it's important to the game, but not really. You're still just doing room puzzles, and sometimes you go into another room. It's interesting because there's a lot of experimentation of like types of puzzle games in there. There are two sequences in the game that are bafflingly out of place, in where you look through a screen and suddenly you're controlling a character in a first person maze where you can move like yes! left and right and forward. <laughs> yes, you do do that. <laughs> And that stuff is super weird. Like, let's discount the part where you're doing it on, like, ancient structures on Mars. Like, we'll talk about that later. But the part where you're <laughs> going through a temple and you're just, like, cr- like it suddenly becomes Etrian Odyssey at some point as you're trying to activate runes in this maze is super weird. Yeah. No, it's weird. They push the... I Like, they, it's clear that this is the last room game. Mm-hmm. Because they're just like, let's do everything. Oh, hey, you open this box, you use your thing, and then you're looking at a first-person game, and that's the puzzle. Yep. And so you get to the you get to the end of the game as you're like, you dive through all of these experiences, and you end up on the top of the like tower of the house in which you started, and just it's like up in the sky, like hundreds of feet, and it feels like an impossible space. And on this roof is like the final puzzle where it will open the door to the other side where whatever horrible thing is there lurks behind it. And uh, you know how to open it and you open the door and you get pulled inside and suddenly you're in like labyrinth hell that is just more puzzle boxes because it pulls out to another person solving a puzzle box and you were just part of the endless machinations of this puzzle box. And hey, guess what? This is the bad ending of four endings. Please enjoy the rest of the video game. Yep. No, you go. You actually go into the train that is the start of the game. Oh, right, right, right. The train door is the first door. Right, you, right. The train door is the first door, and you walk into the train, you sit down, and you're like, huh, what's going on? And then it just pulls out to show your train going into this massive pyramid in a desert. But and... like, the desert is also like an endless labyrinth that goes on forever. Yeah, the desert is an endless labyrinth, when, which then zooms out enough to become a box, which is like a billion locks and keys just... Uh, warp in on each other and twist and, and lock uh, and then there's another guy at another table solving another box and just infinite men in black puzzle boxes galaxies <laughs> yeah uh, which is great uh, then the game kicks you loose and is like hey you've got ending one of four please enjoy the rest of the game we'll start you from right before the final puzzle there's more secrets to discover but we turn the hints off enjoy yep uh, and this is where the room 
uh, like loses me and, and it's fine because i you have an ending it has a game there for people like me because uh, the series to me as a whole the thing it reminded me most of uh not formally but like experientially was uh, tomb raider legend in that it is a game in which you solve puzzles but the puzzles aren't hard uh, at all but it is incredibly pleasant and tonally uh enjoyable to do them and it is designed around the process of you do this, then you do that, then you do this, and you get to the end and you feel a sense of accomplishment, and um, mm-hmm. you get to experience environments, and you get to experience uh, like the journey through going it. Um, but then the room three's ending uh, after that ending opens up to the um, the hub world, and it's clear because you've been seeing things that haven't made sense throughout the game. Well, um, not so much haven't made sense. There's objects that you can look at, but you don't know how to interact with yet. Well, that's why like, I meant just, by like met. they're not used. They're just not used for anything. That's what I meant by didn't make sense. I mean, like, you oh, look at a thing and you're like, oh, I clearly can use that later. And you haven't used it. Like the uh, Oh, yeah. I just want to, I don't want to be clear. Yeah. I, I just want to be clear for the listeners who might not have played mm-hmm. the game. No, good point. Good point. Uh, but yeah, like you, and all the, all the uh, items in the hub world would come into play here at the ending. Um, and it's just such an intensely confusing puzzle. And I had to look at a walkthrough immediately. Because. Yeah. Uh, so this... w- the one thing we haven't talked about is the room has one of the best hint systems in all of video games as far as I'm concerned. It's incredible. It's incredible. So if you're stuck on a puzzle, like the game has some sort of internal timer where at some point it'll just give you like a, a vague hint. It'll be like, hey, you can look at this hint and you don't have to buy new hints or anything. It's an iOS game that costs real money, so they don't do that shit. Uh, and uh, that hint's like real, just kind of points you in a direction. And then if you wait a little longer uh, and you're still like, stuck another like hint noise like the little chime will go off and you'll get a better hint that's like more involved and the first two games like the hints are usually there's like one or like like only a couple levels but as the game goes on it's they like make it more discreet where there's like an actual timer ticking down until you get the middle hint and then you get the last hint which basically is like hey turn this fucking key you idiot it's right here it's in the drawer (laughs) yep uh and that stuff is really helpful because like the room is great and I feel like it's not like these games aren't particularly difficult if you like internalize their language really well. But part of that is because you always feel like the solution is like there if you want to look for it. Like the game will give you the answer if you just wait around long enough. So you feel comfortable like exploring the space and butting your head against something for a little while. Because you're not going to be stuck against anything for more than like five or ten minutes at the worst. Uh, but then the the ending of the room three literally kicks you loose with like no idea what like possibilities even exist in the space and then takes away your hints. And it, it makes sense hints. in a world. Oh, go ahead. It, it takes not only does it take away your hints, but it expands the scale of the puzzle to not just a like the first game is just a box on a table, but now it's like a, a large number of different items in various rooms in a hub world that interact in various combinations that don't actually really link to their spatial connection. So you'll just get a thing from there and walk four screens over, and that'll take twenty seconds to do the next thing, and then it changes clock. Uh, and it just becomes a much more uh, just a very long, like long game in terms of how much long it takes to have an action take place. Yeah, and like suddenly the f- being stuck is a bigger deal. <laughs> this post game chapter becomes actually just an adventure game, which is a thing that the room kind of flirts with in the rest of its structure, but never discreetly does. In that it's so much about gathering items to use on environmental objects, yep. in a way that the the room is more focused. Like typically is more focused than that, but now it becomes that game. And a lot of the puzzles are dis- like discrete elements that have not been used in any prior game or haven't been used since the first game. Uh, yeah, I think particularly of the clock in which you have to wait until your clock on your phone is at a 15 because it's a real time clock for a thing to open. 
Yep. And Which is a really cool idea for a puzzle. Yeah, but, but like... In an abstract sense, it's, it's not in a yes. fuck, it's 20 past sense. Um, Or the one where you have to swing the chandelier at top and there's like a trackball on the railing. But you haven't had... You haven't had something that feels like a... It's not a gyroscope thing. It's actually just a trackball, but it looks like it almost could be a gyroscope thing. And there hasn't been a gyroscope puzzle since, like, the very end of the first game. Mm-hmm. And that kind of puzzle is, like, really discreet and really specific to, like, the room's design and not the room's three's design. And yeah. I remember the first time, it t- like, it took me a long time to figure out that it wasn't a gyroscope puzzle, even. Like, I was like, what is this? I can clearly manipulate this, but it doesn't do anything when I tilt my phone. Uh, because the action of the trackball is actually really slow, like moving the chandelier. Like, yeah. you have to have a lot of intentionality to make it do the thing you want it to do. Mm-hmm. And so the ending of this involves uh, getting coins hidden throughout this uh, hub world to use in the fortune teller machine as she gives you different fortunes and you expend all the fortunes, which are the four cards that are the endings of the game. And those give you puzzle boxes that you can use in the final puzzle that will alter like the weird beam of energy that summons the door to the ending and that'll change what ending you get yeah, uh, the the framing of it is you need like the ending of the game is you summoning the true door and if you get things that manipulate the door the, the places you go and the outcome will be different yes um but the one one of the actual best moments of the game for me is in this ending uh, or in like the lead up to the adventure game part, which is there is this puzzle where you have to go like it's in the like greenhouse space where you mm-hmm. pull some bricks off of a wall and there's a keyhole and you look at the keyhole and it's like, oh, this this would fit a key, but uh, the key doesn't fit like there's something wrong with the keyhole. So you go around the other side and you go inside the mechanism of the lock and in there you can like manipulate the the keyhole to be the right size for the key and you do that and you go and you put the key in when you're back at normal size, but it just like spins and spins. It's clearly not doing anything. So you have to go back into the lock and in there you can manipulate the like tines of the key to make it actually click the tumblers of the lock. And mm-hmm. it's such a, it's, it's a mo- like a moment like the lighthouses where the game has been telling you, you manipulate the keys. You are the like key to open doors. And this is the first time where it's like, not only did you have to forge keys at some point, you now have to like intimately understand how keys work and in like connect with locks and make that stuff work and able to open the doors, to the puzzle you need. It's kind of in the same way that the final puzzle, uh, like on the tower in like begins with you having to align tumblers and a lock to make the like pistons go down into those holes. Yeah. Like, the final puzzles in this game very much in are all themed around this is how keys and locks interact. You have to have intimate, like arcane understanding of these things in order to progress. And I think that stuff like thematically is like really interesting. I also yeah, just like the idea of you going into this lock and there's this like gigantic key in there that's like 50 feet tall and you have to manipulate <laughs> like just one little puzzle on the key, like as you're shrunk down to make it connect the tumblers of the lock. Uh, that stuff is really cool to me. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's really good. Those moments are so good. Um, so I I, I like uh, in abstract the room three's um, final section. I don't like playing it because I I mean it was fine. I loaded up a walkthrough and it was annoying, but I got it done. Yeah. Um, but uh, I can see, I can see being a person who's like, oh, finally after three games of being taught what to do, it's time to do it. Um, I I just don't think the things you do are close enough to what the actual games have been so far to be like actually rewarding in that way. 
Mm-hmm. Well, because the the uh, letter you get in the first ending is like mm-hmm. mocking you for like, oh, you thought following the what, following the obvious instructions all the time was all you had to do, you idiot. Uh, and then, like, it basically mocks you for following its own rule set that is built up for three games. Yes. Uh, so, uh, the other three endings, uh, we'll talk about the the middle two endings first, because they're basically the same one with one change. In that you get a uh, wooden door uh, that leads to, like, a harbor on the island. And there's a boat, and they're like the Cthulhu tentacles from the other side from the second game chasing you. And you get to the boat, and then you're knocked out by one of the tentacles, and you wake up like on the boat out past the island. And you either see the manor being destroyed by the tentacles, and then it's sunshine and everything is happy, or the manor being destroyed by the tentacles, and then you see like tentacles from the sky, like the end of Hellboy, like coming down to destroy the earth because the thing has been freed. It is the end of Hellboy! It is the end of Hellboy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And the two letters you get at the end of that imply kind of the same thing in that, like, this is the final result of whatever was behind the door, what it wanted out of you. Uh, It allows you, like, the aether, the the null that you were chasing the entire time, this is where it explicitly states it is a lure sent to bring people to open whatever locks have been put in place against these like elder god cthulhu beings for the past like centuries and now you've unlocked them and either they're either you've unlocked them all and they're you're free or they're free or you've turned away and you will forget about it and the fascination's gone and the letter says the all evidence the null element has disappeared and now i don't really care about the chase anymore almost as if like the whole thing was this constructed obsession to bring me here as like a lure and that is canonically like the good ending i feel like yeah it's definitely the good ending because he's like the letter says something i can't remember the exact wording but it's like um i will never know all the answers and that makes me so happy yeah he's like Um, i don't need to look anymore i'm free the end and then the other ending which is like the same video but just uh kind of like color shifted and then there's some tentacles in the sky uh the letter in that is also really um cool about what it implies and then it's just this really sad letter of i'm going over to bethlehem now uh i don't know how long it's going to take for everyone to die but it'll happen yeah (laughs) well we should probably Uh, do something i guess but i don't know cthulhu and then the final ending uh, if you get all of the various puzzle or boxes that like manipulate the final door and you realize that one of them is like booby trapped at the end, like you have to go around the other side of the projector and unscrew a thing because one of the puzzle boxes like beam has been blocked when they're like opening the final door. It opens a door into darkness. Like there's no actual door. It's just like a fog door in Bloodborne or something. Uh, and when you go through that, you end up on Mars on the temples way back when and then the game kind of just cuts there yeah and there's no that's letter it. like that's the final ending just fades uh, back just, oh hey you're on mars now no because it, it starts with the just with like space and then zooms towards mars yes. and you see the dots yeah and then you uh, see the and, temple and then you're there yep uh which is uh great uh, it's interesting i so the read I get on what the actual plot of the rooms are then at that point is that at one point these beings existed on Mars and destroyed all civilization there. And that's when the locks were made. Mm-hmm. And then like either life moved to earth or like life was on Mars and earth. And then the, whatever was locked away has now tried to get earthlings to open these locks that were originally forged on Mars because that's where all of the temple and all like the important stuff is like being intimated at coming from. 
uh, like the null element might be from Mars and the tentacle things are from Mars. Uh, what's great is that not, it's not just like, oh, these are aliens from space, but it like deals with the very, like there's that old belief where through like very simple telescopes, you could see things that look like structures on Mars that turned out to be like various geological features. Like pe when people used to believe in like the faces on Mars and stuff like that. Uh, it all feels very old timey in a way that I really appreciate that ties into like the seance rooms and the bespoke drawing rooms of the various parts of Grey Manor. Like it all ties into the themes that make sense for this world where it's like very 18th century learned occultism. Yeah. And that stuff's all great. Like I enjoy that greatly. Same. It is a cool thing. I'm very glad I played it because you've been going on at me to play them for ages. And I was like, oh, we'll just do them for Game Club. And I ended up loving them. Uh, yep they're uh they're fun games you know like it is one of the most satisfying things you can do in a video game and it's weird because it's so simple is just flip switches and like turn true. keys yep it's so true it's so true it it's one of the things i really appreciated about wii games that were well made is that oftentimes they would have things where you're just like oh use the wiimote to like turn out crank or something because it always felt really good mm-hmm uh, it's the one thing motion controls and touch controls do better than actual buttons. Yeah. Uh, I can't imagine playing this game on PC. I don't know why you would. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean if you only have a I PC, know, then it's fine. If you only have a PC, and I know it looks a lot better, but, uh, you know, like, it it runs on pretty much anything. Like, you can get it on Android and iOS, so you should probably play... I mean, maybe the third game doesn't run on everything, but yep. you should definitely play these if you can. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Any uh, final thoughts? Puzzles that you absolutely hated? Uh, the fucking puzzle. The one with the, the pyramid locks and the, the, the room three with the pyramid with the locks and the making the keys. The bad part of that room with the sandbag and the two machines in the other room. I oh, you mean where you have to there. you have to manipulate a crane that is carrying a sandbag to like push presser plates on a floor and then you have to drive it through like a like a door, like almost like a like a service door in the wall yeah but you can only do that in specific ways i'm like i clearly have to get this thing over there but i was trying to do it from different like the wrong part and it wasn't letting me mm. <sighs> yeah now that bit but i think that was my most hated bit in the whole game um, my least favorite puzzle is the room one is the only one that does this where they hide fucking turning knobs in like the feet of various boxes they do do that you do have to zoom in on the feet and realize oh this is a turnable foot yeah, and they clearly realize that's a bad idea because they took that shit out of the next games. Yeah, Where it's but like I still keep zooming of, in all the fucking feet. <laughs> all of these, all these like uh, ornate knobs. One of them is slightly different, and that one turns and allows you a switch that you need to progress. And uh, that that stuff is dumb because it relies upon like a hunt and peck thing that the room very quickly learns it and needs to get away from. Yeah, no, but yeah, the bad part for me was that I. Um... Like, still checked for that when I didn't know what to do. Oh, let's see if there's a, there's the thing to turn. It never was after the room one. But yeah. I had to keep checking. Yeah. So, yeah, the room's great. People should play it. Uh, it's it's like a unique construction of a game type that exists in the world. If you like room escape games, like in Flash or whatever, or you liked like more concrete like adventure games like mist where it's so much about environmental manipulation uh the room's like a good time and it's not it's not impossibly hard it's super approachable
So here we are at segment four, the segment in which you have questions and we have answers. We have how many questions, Jackson? One? One. Well, two, well, it's just Dan. It's just Dan being a dick. Well, okay. So if you want to send us questions, you can do it at podcastabnormalmapping.com. Or you can hit us up on Twitter. Uh, We'll give you our Twitter handles at the end of this. What is our one question, Jackson? (sighs) Dan Parker added us rudely to force us to talk about this and said, Which one is Chappie? Is Chappie Daddy? So is it asking which one of us is Chappie? Which one is Chappie? Is Chappie Daddy? Okay, so we need to establish ground. Is it asking which one of us is Chappie? Which one is Chappie? Is Chappie Daddy? Yes, I know you can read the question all you want, but now we have to talk about it. Yes, I'm saying that there isn't any more context here. There's no... I don't know what the fuck is going on I'm asking you what you believe, not what the question asks. I I I understand what the question asks. I mean, we can take it as to which one of us is Chappie, and the answer's me. Yeah, I know. The answer's always you. (laughs) Like, like, come on. That wasn't a hard one. Um, I'm Chappie. Yeah, that's Chappie. That's Um, Chappie. Chappie is not daddy. Chappie uh, is the least daddy. I feel like, like I'm willing to speak for you maybe a little bit, but I'll definitely speak for myself here. We are an anti-daddy podcast. Anti-daddy podcast. It's true. Yeah. I'm not interested in daddies of any type. Not because it's cultural appropriation, just because it's Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. This will be forgotten by the time this goes up next week. No, I know. We're recording this the, the day after fucking Twitter destroyed itself. So what I did while I was watching wrestling last night is I went to Tweetbot and muted the term daddy, and it took out 120 <laughs> tweets. <laughs> Good. Good. You should just keep that mute in place forever. I put it up for a month. Okay. Because that sounds like a solid mute to me. Yeah, no, I know. The discourse will have blown over, and it'll go back to being a word that people can use by then, hopefully. It's true. Well, yeah, it's probably already blown over now. But, yeah. Uh, anti-daddy podcast uh i finished friends at the table recently and then went to look at fan art and um well i finished counterweight specifically to the season two and there was fan art of this which you won't understand if you haven't listened to the podcast but that's fine uh depicting orthon mako two characters where mako was just the twinkiest twink that had ever been drawn and orth was daddy clearly and there wasn't anything sexual going on but that's like just what they were drawing and it made me upset it was wrong orth is not daddy orth is not daddy no. and Chappie is not daddy uh, nope. Orth needs daddy, I feel like. No, Orth does not need daddy. <laughs> I mean, Orth is asexual, so Orth doesn't really need a daddy in that way, but Orth could use someone to look after him. I mean, if we're going by that lot, like, Ibex is clearly Orth's daddy. Yeah. That... But, like, that's fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's fucked up in all sorts of ways that we're not going to get into. You should listen to Friends at the Table. Yeah, season two, Canaway, it's fantastic. I mean, season one's excellent as well, um... Uh, I think but I only season, like season, season two. two. Sounds good. Season one sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, season one is like they're all poor and no one listens to the podcast and they have a webcam mic. Uh, and uh, now it's yeah. a thing. Now it's beaten car talk and they've all got snowballs. Uh, yeah, I bet some of them have Yetis. Ooh, fucking fancy! Someone, I bet one or at least one of them probably has an XLR mic. Wouldn't be surprised. Ooh. We'll see. I bet it's Keith. I don't know. Maybe it... Uh, you know what? Keith would totally be the one. <laughs> I bet it's Keith. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. But if you want to understand any of this conversation, go listen to Friends at the Table. It's a good podcast. Also, good send in your fanfic of what mic setups you think your favorite podcasters have. Because <laughs> this is a thing only people with podcasts would care about. But the people with podcasts <laughs> care deeply. It matters. Yeah, the best thing that ever happened to me was getting this mic arm for my mic. I didn't think it would be a good idea. But it's just, it just sits on the end of the desk. And now the mic just stays in place. It's fantastic. That's great. I know. Thank you. This podcast so, is uh, Renee, we still got stuff to do next month in our story tradition of doing game clubs even though we said this new version of the podcast wouldn't have game clubs we just have game clubs again i hope you like them because we don't know how to do anything else okay next month I... we can't bring that up again because like it's just to the point where we've just we're just doing it again we can't keep know, saying no pretending. this is probably the last time but okay. i i am i am both delighted in our resolve and disappointed in our resolve that this is how it went <laughs> I feel um, like it's gone well in that we have kept up the game clubs, but also spend most of our time not playing games and not worrying about it. Like the best of both worlds has occurred. Yeah, best of both worlds part two yet to come. <laughs> the best of well, good because it's shit. Um, yeah, no, it's definitely not as good. <laughs> just skip the family. No, I mean you don't want to just skip the family. That's dumb. <laughs> but you got to watch the best of both worlds part two. But it's not like a thing. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. It peaks with fire, and that's at the end of the first episode. So <laughs> yeah. Mr. War. I, I, I the problem. My brain is ruined because I only think of um, that uh, the last time on Next Generation clip of Best of Both Worlds Part One. I always think of it in the uh, Yu-Gi-Oh cast fake voices because that was. Uh, a I don't know what I you're talking one. about. Is this just it, one of the Yu-Gi-Oh bridge episodes ended with uh, or started with them doing that effort, like doing like having that clip but replacing all the voices? So the end was like Mr. Wharf Fire, and that's been in my head for about three years. Great, no um, longer than that. Five, Jesus Christ! I plugs. No it's game club. So, oh, uh. so the thing, the thing that I wanted to say was, uh, by the time this goes up, the most recent Badland Girls will probably be up. And me and Destiny talked for almost an hour about uh, her feelings about Star Trek: The Next Generation. So you should go listen to that. It'll be a good yeah. time. Yep. We talk about how Deanna Troy is so horribly written that it should be illegal. <laughs> it should be illegal. It wasn't in the eighties. No, uh, it was acceptable in the eighties. Um, next month I ran a poll because I was like, you know, we should play a Metroid game. And I was like, I don't really know which one to start with. And I ran a poll. What should be someone's first Metroid game in 2016? And the internet decided that it was going to be Super Metroid. And I said, no, that's dumb. We're not going to do Super Metroid. (laughs) So I shouldn't have run the poll in the first place. But we are going... (laughs) I I was about to say, I was like, you ran a poll and the answer was the one we chose and not Super Metroid? Weird. And then I realized that you just overruled them. Because no, I can't imagine you saying, yeah, Super Metroid, let's do it. Of course, uh, that'd be that'd be like asking which Zelda to play. Of course, everyone's going to say Link to the Past. I think I think most people would probably say Alcarina at this point. Oh, sh- sure, I I, I guess. Uh, <laughs> we're playing uh, Metroid Fusion. Yes, we're playing Metroid Fusion, the first Metroid of a new era. In the and also it like it's probably best experience as an introductory Metroid game. Uh, if you've played it, you understand. And it was my first Metroid game of all things, so I'm looking forward to returning to it. You can find it on the Wii U eShop, uh, probably in all regions. I know it's in yours, right, Jackson? Definitely in mine. Okay, and I think it's in mine. I think I don't have one of them, but I don't remember which one it is. I don't know. I'm playing it on my Game Boy Advance SP because I still have my cart from 2003 or whenever this game came out. So fucking Uh, It's the best console. You know what? You know what? Like, I like the SP a lot, 
playing it recently, consoles are better now. Really? But it's too small. I... It's too small. Like the the like part where the screen is there is great, but the part where your hands are jammed together with like two inches between them is not great. Yeah, that's true. Also, the D pad on current Nintendo systems way better than the D pad on the SP. So you're gonna you're gonna say it? 3D better than the SP? Like, if you want my opinion on the very best Nintendo console of all time, it's probably the D- DS Lite. Mm-hmm. because then you get all of the DS games and you get all of the Game Boy Advance games and the D-pad is good. So play Metroid Fusion, come back next month. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about other video games probably. We'll probably talk about comics and Star Trek because that's what we always do. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's In the true. meantime, Jackson, where can people find you? Head fools off on Twitter. <laughs> that's it. Uh, yeah, headfoolsoff.com, I guess. Not really putting anything up up there. I'm I'm writing a bunch, but it's all like a book that will eventually maybe come out, maybe. So there's not, I don't know, not really writing articles anymore. Do you want uh, to plug your other podcasts? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there is a goof zone. There is a goof zone coming eventually. There is a trash break ratio Skype chat that exists still. That is what I will say. <laughs> okay. Uh, you can find me at em underscore being on Twitter and uh, check out the YouTube channel. Uh, Jackson's probably wrapping up Mega Man three. Oh fuck! I completely re- forgot to record that today. Uh, yep. Well, it's going out late on Sunday. <laughs> um, <laughs> I guess it's going up tonight. <laughs> uh, check out Mega Man four. It's it's pretty good. Jackson's good at Mega Man, and the, I forgot the music in Mega Man four is so good. It's so good. I was expecting, because, like, I knew that the, the Megas, which is the band that I'd listened to, like, I didn't know any of the songs from it. So for some reason, I was like, oh, maybe they won't be as good. No, they are prime Mega Man songs. And uh, every Wednesday, you can catch me playing Kid Dracula. Actually, the last episode, I think, goes up this week, so it'll already be out. And then we'll be switching to Castlevania Chronicles. Maybe my favorite action Castlevania? We'll see. <gasps> uh, those are once a week, because I don't have a backlog, and I I'm not up to recording a bunch right now, so I'm putting them up as sparsely as I can to keep them going. Uh, but at some point, we'll get to Symphony of the Night, and then I bet I'll play a whole lot more Castlevania. I, oh, yeah. Weird. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Weird that you would do that. Yeah, I know, right? I know. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Podcasts. Podcasts.